Hello and welcome back to the Raising Helmets podcast. I'm Kyle. And I'm Carrie. And it is very hot outside. So hot. Today it was 97, but because it's DC, feels like 110. Yeah, Rory really wanted to leave the house. Uh, So we went outside and got the mail. And it's just that real uncomfortable thing where the ambient temperature is both hotter and wetter than your own body. I did not leave the house, but I saw you guys looked like you were melting after about 30 seconds outside. Yeah, so fun. I'm very happy to stay inside. Too hot to go to the pool, in my opinion, although we didn't try. But yeah, I mean, we could have maybe gone to the pool, but it was a good just sort of chill at home weekend. Yeah, no, we are running the air conditioning and eating the ice cream cones, and we will go outside when it is not the surface of the sun. Well, that, I guess, leads me to something I meant to ask you about today and might as well ask you about on the podcast, which is, did we like how last week we showed up at Mass about half an hour early and played on the playground during the only time of day where it is cool enough to be outside, and then we went inside and had church and then went home? Yes, I liked that for several reasons. It is shaded, it is still cool that early in the morning, it ensures that we will be on time to Mass, and the kids get a little bit of their energy out. So win, 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 win. I think we Don't know why we didn't think of it before. Well, I think you did think of it, and I was the one who was hesitant because, I mean, I'm going to be in dress clothes, and that's no fun, but it actually is pretty pleasant. It's good. Yep. Helmick, Helmick stamp of approval. We are celebrating the one-year anniversary of our podcast. This is the oh. 19th episode, and it is not, in fact, the anniversary, which was sometime in June. Okay, so we've been going about a... About a year and a month. Yeah, and about a podcast and a half a month, which is a pretty good rate. I guess so. I think ideally we would like to post more frequently, but we want to make sure that we have the most uh, highly concentrated, good quality content. Uh, I think it's been a smashing success. I think every podcast started by our friends since then has been the result of seeing how well it goes for us. Um, <laughs> We're taking a lot of credit here. We deserve all of it. Clerically Speaking started soon after this podcast. They're doing amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. Spicy Nugs is doing fantastic. Um, Jake started a podcast and went to me for advice, and it's going great. Jake actually has a good podcast. For anyone who hasn't heard what it is, it's called Top Worst Whatever. And he has on a bunch of random people to um, talk about a topic of their choosing and list format, in list format. So it can be their the, you know the five worst of whatever they want to talk about it or the five best of whatever they want to talk about. Um, And it's been sort of nerding slash gaming slanted, but not exclusively. And not pigeonholed within a particular category either. No, not at all. And and generally interesting, even if one has no experience in whatever they're talking about. I think notably his episode about Powered by the Apocalypse uh, role-playing tabletop games was really, really interesting. Ex- extremely interesting, yeah. With Alexi Sargent. Yeah. So it's, I'm in the middle of recording my episode on this cast with Jake, and I won't spoil it or anything, but we started like three nights ago <laughs> and got interrupted because Joseph and Rory were crying like every 15 minutes, and so hopefully we'll be able to finish up. I, at the time, was feverish and in bed, or else I would have stepped yeah, in Yeah, definitely. Um, it was a bit of a rough week, but we're moving on. If, if it's all right, I'm going to compliment Jake even further and say I think I think this sounds like the kind of thing where you be, might be like, well, it's not really on brand for me. But what I find good about Jake is that he's managed to be, to have good opinions or at least smart opinions about each of a broad variety of topics mm-hmm. and appears to be able to do that about such a broad variety that he 
is a really good sort of talk show host in that regard, which is not a talent that comes easily. So. Yeah, he's a really good person to host a podcast like that because he has such a broad range of things he can talk about in depth, I guess is what's interesting about it. Like, I could do that, but only if people agreed to come on to talk about one of, like, three things. Yeah. So I could do three episodes, and then my podcast would be over. I think I'm mostly the same way, yeah. Um, speaking of Jake, he also has the Spicy Nugs podcast about about the various Wendy's um, foods that they review each week with uh, Father Sharapa and Father... Rocket Dan. Rocket Dan. <laughs> and um, my sister informed me when we were in California that uh, she has not listened to every episode of Raising Helmix, but has in fact listened to every episode of Spicy Nugs, yeah. which I can't even be mad. But um, I wanted to provide a little, I guess this is literally on, on a docket, um, a little bit new, of news about Wendy's. They are being sued. Oh, is that right? Yes. They are being sued under the American Americans Disability Act. Oh, no. It was really yeah. funny when In-N-Out got that copyright. Oh, no, well, I guess In-N-Out brought that copyright yes, lawsuit. It's funny, it's funny when restaurants sue. It's less funny when restaurants are being sued. Now, you may remember the last time Wendy's was in the news for a lawsuit-related reason was, I think, back in, like, 2008 or something, when a couple claimed that they found a finger in their chili Bowl and in fact, I think that might have been long before 2008. It, might, it was. A very I remember long hearing ago. about it as a child and being really disturbed. You were a child in 2008, but yes. I was 14. Okay, I wasn't think I was younger. Um, so anyway, it turns out it was, it was fake. They added the finger. Yes, and themselves. in fact, <laughs> were then I think sentenced to jail and then got out of jail and then were arrested for a similar crime. I don't know. I'm gonna have to look into that. This sounds familiar. Um, stay tuned for updates, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, I didn't intend to talk about this at all. I just remembered it. But Wendy's is being sued under the ADA for their policy of keeping their drive through open later than their the rest of the restaurant mm. by a, an organization representing a bunch of blind people who want to be able to eat at Wendy's when everybody else can eat at Wendy's but are incapable of driving cars through the drive through so, I'm just sort of curious, like, what would that mean for, like, drive through only establishments? Those, like, right. So, the ADA has a reasonable accommodation sort of standard, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if In-N-Out builds its drive through only locations, um, the ADA would probably, would probably not require that it also build a, like, a sit-down option. I think there's actually usually a walk-up counter at those places. There are usually, but even at the places that don't have that. Like, that would be pretty extreme to have yeah. to, like, build a new part of the restaurant. But when it comes down to just, like, keeping the doors unlocked and letting the blind person in, right? I guess that's true, that if people are already staffing the drive through and the kitchen, right, it's not like they're going to be um, stretched to have to, like, put another employee on the cash register every now and then or something. Right. Whereas I can see why they would want the drive-thru only because then they don't have to keep the, like the dining area. The bathroom. Area. Yeah. They can close down. You can clean the bathrooms and close them down. And but that's where reasonable accommodation comes in is that they could have some sort of option short of having a blind person just walk into the drive-thru, which obviously is unsafe. Anyway, as with all lawsuits, um, we will keep you updated by which I mean, I will totally forget about this, but uh, so is there an idea that like a blind, hmm, is it, you could like ring a bell and then be served like individually or something like yeah. that? Yep. Yeah. There could be some sort of, you know, even just a policy that says like knock on the door and we'll let you in potentially would be okay. I don't know. I don't know what they're looking for. Um, they'll likely settle with Wendy's and Wendy's will have some. Mm-hmm. I'm interested because like with a lot of, with a lot of lawsuits based on, um, discrimination, 
I think a tendency can be to look critically at the party bringing the lawsuit, as in, like, are you, you know, are you being selfish with this? Like, is this unreasonable to expect of an establishment? But I, I don't, I like to try to think, flip that and think of it as in, is this, I guess, through the lens of the ADA, is this a reasonable request to have equal access to, to a kind of commodity that most people do in the world? And I, I find myself very unequipped to make that judgment. So I'm always curious sort of how these things swing yeah. in the end. Right. I, I think there is, because it's, it's, a, it's a small minority saying the large majority can't have this nice perk because of, you know, a couple of people complaining about it, which... Well, I mean, yeah. it's a perk for the handful of people who work at Wendy's to be or, able to close down their the sit-down restaurant aspect of their business. So it's not yeah, like a bunch of a people point. are being put out of their way and maybe other people want to go in and sit out. So I, I mean, I think if you were to think about it charitably or, and with an open mind, it falls into one of those universal design type things where when you design something such that it, it accommodates the minorities who need, um, more special cases, it can often end up working better for everybody. Like if you cut curbs for wheelchairs, it makes it easier for strollers that sort of thing. So maybe we'd find that if everybody could access Wendy's a little bit later, the world would be a better place. Which it's hard to argue with that. Um, I will be including the 99% Invisible episode that talks about the the curb cuts and other mm-hmm. other ways the ADA has just helped to make a nicer planet. Uh, I mean, frankly, uh, decentering the world around cars works for me. If you, yeah. Getting no. to <laughs> your walkable Wendy's at uh, 2 a.m. or whatever. Yeah, this is not a pro-car podcast. Uh, anyway, getting getting back to the one-year anniversary, um, I wanted okay. to talk a little bit about where we were last year. Uh, you were not quite very pregnant, but extremely almost very pregnant. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about Rory being able, almost able to stitch two words together because um, he was using, like, he would, I think he said park and, and ball and dog and stuff like that, but he couldn't actually say, like, go, go there, right? Um, and now he's using full conversational sentences and going out of his way to be extra verbose for no apparent reason sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Um, he, he had one moment a little while ago where he wanted to play with us. And so he, he asked me if I could put Joseph in his cozy bed because he wanted time with me. And, mm-hmm. um, we had a discussion just today about, he put his, he put his toy trucks in the refrigerator and then said, I want to see if the trucks get cold. Um, oh. yeah. And so I set a timer for 30 minutes and then after the timer went out, we went back to them and he felt them and they were in fact cold. So he was able to, to develop a hypothesis and then act on the hypothesis and then establish a conclusion from that. And what I thought was really funny is that he was holding them and he said, mama, they're cold. I was like, oh yeah. And he says, it's 41. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Well, I think it's funny because he has apparently picked up that when you're doing some kind of experimentation, your results often come in the form of data, specifically numerical data. Yeah. And so I wonder if he was trying to come up with like kind of a summary of what had happened. Yeah, that makes sense. He also, I think, hears us use numbers in reference to temperature a lot. I just, I guess I didn't even occur to me that he actually made that connection. He also has gotten much more reliable at you know, following commands and understanding the objectives behind them. 
Um, I asked for a diaper the other day for him, and he brought back a diaper and wipes, um, which mm-hmm. it turns out that he'd gotten by climbing on top of the changing table <laughs> and grabbing off of the windowsill. Yeah, he called it rock climbing. He's yeah. like, I'll show you. I did rock climbing. <laughs> he, actually, he, he actually, the background of that is that he said, I got these um, off the window. It was like climbing with rocks. And I said, oh, you mean rock climbing? He said, yeah, I was rock climbing. So he, he pieces things together and he figures things out and he knows what he doesn't know. And he also knows what he needs to tell other people to inform them of what's going on versus what they know because they were there. Yeah. Um, one thing that I've been finding difficult and a little bit sad in a sweet way, I guess, is that we are background is that we are really struggling with Joseph on bedtimes I really resisted doing any kind of crying or fussing it out for a long time with Joseph because I continue to believe that that isn't good for kids. But now that he's hit 11 months, almost a year, and his crying is definitively less about, like, panic because he thinks he's being left alone and more about, like, just whining because he doesn't want to go to bed, my my soul has become more okay with putting him down, knowing he's going to get upset, but also knowing that in a couple of minutes he's going to just give up and go to sleep and, and not be traumatized. Sometimes, however, Rory will run in there and start being like, Jojo, it's okay. It's, it's sleepy time, Joey. It's okay. And that just is like a punch in the gut because I th- I worry that Rory sees it as Joseph crying for us and us just ignoring him and just letting him be miserable and so Rory takes it upon himself to go in and comfort Joseph <sighs> yeah that does kind of break your heart because Joseph's obviously fine he'll go down in a few more minutes but he won't now that Rory's here yeah <laughs> today we had to physically separate the, him them and Rory tried to take his nap in our bed just because the moment we put both of them in the same room they just started playing from the crib in the toddler bed yeah they they're usually pretty good about that it, it really is a toss-up depends it's actually a pretty good indicator on whether or not Rory will go to sleep because Mm -hmm. if he's serious about going to sleep he won't engage with Joseph which is interesting yeah our bedtimes have been really difficult lately but I was just thinking the other day how we really are within sight of the finish line of being able to hand a babysitter like three bullet points of instructions for how to do bedtime and then go out yeah. And I think a couple months ago it would have been like, we'll just try to soothe them until they're asleep and, and gently try to put them down and try this and this and this. And now we could be like, give him a bottle, give him his blanket, put him in bed. He'll fuss a little bit and then he'll fall asleep. We'll see you at 10 or something yeah. like that. And that's a good that's a good feeling. There really is a sort of light at the end of the tunnel feel. Not that we've been miserable at all, but one nice thing about... I would say we've been a little bit miserable at, at times. times. A reasonable amount for, you know having two kids under three. Um, but one very nice thing about this past trip to California is that now that we do have, you know, a toddler who can communicate to the baby as well as a baby who's slightly older, um, we were much more able to just leave the kids with a parent, not really have to think too hard about it, and then have a nice time out either with, with each other or with whoever we were meeting. Yeah, I'd be gone for several hours and know that they were fine. They could take naps, they could eat snacks, they would be there for each other, but also with their family that they love. Yeah. So it's definitely some of the benefits of having two kids who know each other and play with each other well are already coming to fruition. They're in fact thick as thieves. It's amazing. So yeah, it feels good. We're going to have a big Mm -hmm. party for Joseph's 
for his birthday in August. It's going to be nice because it'll sort of be to celebrate him, but mostly to celebrate having accomplished this pretty big thing, which I think is impressive. I don't know. I'm pretty proud of us. Yeah, having two kids Mm -hmm. for a full year. It's been good. Yeah. Speaking of parties, Rory, um, along with Rory getting better at words, he's gotten better at justifying things that he knows he's technically not supposed to do. <laughs> like, um, for a long time, one of his favorite things has been to just dump every piece of everything he can find into a box or a corner, like all the puzzle pieces, all the blocks, all the animals, all the cars, all the kitchen utensils, just in a big pile, not to be played with, just to kind of be dumped and then left. And the other day I was like, Rory, we can't do this. It's so hard to clean up. It's a huge mess. You're not actually enjoying any of your toys. And he was like, but it's my party. I need to do this because it's my party. And, you know, how do you argue with that? Obviously I did. We still shut it down. We're putting away every toy that comes in more than three parts. But um, he's he's definitely trying to come up with reasons why he should be allowed to do stuff. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, terrible twos haven't, in fact, been all that terrible. He's been especially difficult at times and tried to push boundaries plenty. It's definitely quite interesting to watch him sort of wrestle through those those typical kind of toddler struggles. Yeah, and the things that have been really terrible have all been directly connected to, well, he's sick, or he's really tired, or he's hungry. Like, when when given the chance to have sort of a level playing field, he really does really well. Yeah, that's something I want to talk about in more depth at some point, is I, I feel like a lot of parenting comes down to knowing to what extent to treat your toddler as a baby, and to what extent to treat your toddler as an adult. Um, and a lot of times... We just assume that kids are acting irrationally. Um, But a lot of times you can kind of take a second and understand why. Yeah. um, There's really like, there's a, there's an irrationality when taken in the context of like the world we live in, but there's definitely a logical connection between the inputs that they have and the connections that their brain makes. And you really can figure out why they're doing something off the wall if you stop to think about it a lot of the time. You know, like, well, maybe last time the X chain of events happened, they were allowed to jump on the couch. And so now that the same thing has been repeated, they think that the thing to do is jump on the couch, even though like two seconds ago you told them don't jump on the couch, but they didn't hear that because their brain was so busy processing, oh man, I'm so excited, I get to jump on the couch. And it's annoying, but it makes sense for them. So you got to figure out how to get them to understand what you want, not just break their spirit. That's right. I don't know. I could talk for a long time about that. Maybe we do want to make that a separate cast. I think so. Did you have other stuff you wanted to talk about, though? Oh, I did have another sort of update, which I think it was our last time we podcasted that we talked about that school lunch debt. So it's the thing where you can pay a certain amount, like two or three bucks a meal, and your kid gets the hot lunch at school. And when parents get behind on that payment, oftentimes kids are made to eat a worse lunch or do some kind of labor in exchange for their lunch or have like a big sticker put on that says like, remember to pay for my food, mom. (laughs) Somehow stigmatized. Yeah, it's definitely somehow stigmatizing. So 
this Pennsylvania school district has taken it a step further where they sent out letters saying, if you don't pay up, we are going to be calling child welfare on you and your kids are going to be taken away. Which, as soon as the child welfare office for that county caught wind of it, they were horrified because, you know, child welfare can, or CPS can change from state to state and district to district for sure. But one thing that they agree on is that getting behind on school lunch debt is miles away from being a justified home removal. Yeah, and the important distinction is that a a debt is a debt, and and parents will have several debts running at any given time if they're falling behind. And you can't – basically, you're giving a lien to the school that says we can possess your children. Right. Well, and they were saying this is in no way how it works. The school took it upon themselves to threaten that. But obviously, if they're threatening you for non-payment of food that has already been eaten by your child, then the school's argument that failing to provide food for your child and there, um, is grounds for having them removed from their home makes no sense because no. clearly your child ate and that's why they're going after the parents for the... the um, Money, which is a wild argument, especially given that, that like the max any one parent owed was like $450. My overall point with this is that <laughs> it's bonkers that schools are devoting their resources. Schools and districts are having to resort to more and more dramatic measures that they would go for something so extreme as these letters threatening to remove children. It's like, doesn't that show you that this is a really poor use of their time and resources? Like, why are schools now debt collection agencies? Public schools. Anyway, just one more argument for why school lunch uh, should not be a separate payment that parents need to make. Right. Which is, I think, a point that I made in the last podcast. Like, why not just have the kids eat the free lunch like they're receiving the free education? Anyway, that was a little update for you all on school lunch debt. Yeah, so you actually follow up on some of yours. I have no idea how that in-and-out lawsuit's going. I'm not sure why I care so much about this. I mean, I don't have a child in the public school system. I guess I've been getting more more interested in the vilification of parents for poverty. Right. Um, trying to make it out that if if you're poor or if you have less money that you can't be a good parent. And I don't think that's the case. I think everybody, regardless of socioeconomic level, should be able should be considered a fit parent um, financially. You know, there are obviously other factors that make you a good parent or not. We've got a little dog and pony show for you after this, a little song Rory Rory composed for your enjoyment. Yeah, it is <laughs> a let's say Let's say it's a remix of a song that is a beloved classic of America. Wait, I think it's a remix of a song he's already sung a remix of on this podcast. That is correct, yes. While we ourselves parody many songs, and that is how he's probably learned the trick, this is entirely his own creation, which makes it especially fun. So we'll see you all soon, and enjoy. Bye. Put you out, I can go home.